Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Creative Control with Bish Khanna. It's uh, getting sad around here for me. Uh, David Letterman is retiring uh, on Wednesday. He's retiring the Late Show with David Letterman. Uh, you know, some of us first discovered uh, him probably via the, the the Late Night Show, Late Night with David Letterman, when he was back at NBC. And uh, for some of us, he's a father figure. For some of us, he's an older brother. I, I don't know wh- what he means to you or who he is to you. But um, as a broadcaster, as a comedian, as a comedic force, really, um, he means the world to me. And uh, has shaped a lot of, for better or for worse, shaped a lot of uh, who I am, I think. And he's... Uh, going and it's hard i watched uh, norm mcdonald on friday night do a brilliant stand-up set and then just crumble paying tribute to uh david letterman norm mcdonald who seems uh, unaffected by almost anything and uh th- that's how i'm feeling I-, I i'm feeling myself get emotional and weepy over someone i don't even know personally but uh, at the same time feel like i know him better than i know a lot of people uh, it's the illusion of television i suppose Anyway, I wanted to uh, pay tribute to, to Dave as best I could on this little show. And so on uh, this program, this episode, Mike Sachs, a humorist, a comedy writer, journalist, um, Mike Sachs. He's written a couple of amazing books in which he speaks with comedy writers about their work and how they got into it and, and just sort of comedy as a cultural force. I'm a huge fan of his of his writing, and uh, I, I messaged him to say, "Hey, do you want to talk about Dave and uh, and, and Letterman, and just the, the impact of Dave and, and what it means that he's leaving?" And um, I didn't know what his relationship was to Dave. I just knew that he followed comedy very closely, and it turns out he he's a huge fan of Dave's and has had some interactions with the show recently. It was very surprising, actually. Um, this interview. So uh, this is myself and Mike Sachs. Uh, I hope you listen. Uh, you'll learn things about Dave. You'll get some insight about uh, the Late Show. And um, yeah, so here it is. Myself, Mike Sachs. Enjoy. Control, control, control. 
top ten lows. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Danny Collins, Lambert and Stamp, Clouds of Sills Maria, Robocall, Election Day in Canada, and more. On Thursday, May 21st at 7.30 p.m., Guelph's own Rob McLean celebrates the release of his new album, Play, Pause, Stop, with a performance at the E-Bar. The Bookshelf is an independently owned cultural hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. For information about their hours, listings, blogs, and accessibility, please visit bookshelf.ca. Mike Sachs is a respected journalist and humor writer whose work has appeared in many of America's top periodicals. He's a member of the editorial staff at Vanity Fair and has written three books, including two acclaimed and mind-blowing interview collections, 2009's And Here's the Kicker, Conversations with 21 Humor Writers About Their Craft, and more recently, 2014's Poking a Dead Frog, Conversations with Today's Top Comedy Writers. With David Letterman's retirement as a TV talk show host imminent, it seemed like a good time to get his insight on what this means for comedy. So here now for a chat is Mike Sachs. Uh, hi, Mike. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Now, where in the world are you, Mike? I'm in Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn? Brooklyn, New York, Park Slope. How's that going? It's going well. Just took a nice long walk with my daughter in the park. And um, as I told you, she's now watching My Little Pony. So hopefully we have the next 20 minutes for you. I'm okay. That's good. That's what My Little Pony is good for. <laughs> yeah, that's not good for much else. Yeah. Now, have you been following the end of The Late Show with David Letterman? Yes. As a matter of fact, I went to one of the last tapings. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Letterman. That's really the show I grew up with. I mean, I that was the last time in my life where I would watch every single show when it was on every night. I haven't done that in years. But I used to watch every show of Letterman's uh, in junior high school and high school and somewhat in college. But that's really my show. That's the show I grew up with. Yeah, m- me too. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm 37. I don't know how old you are. You I'm 45. 45. Okay, so you're a bit ahead of me there. And, uh, yeah, I would tape the show every night when my, my parents would yell at me if I stayed up to watch it. Right. I, I actually was um, an insomniac, so I would stay up and usually watch it live in my room on a little black and white. We didn't even have a v- VHS. My parents were sort of the last to get it. Later, we got one, which was much easier. But um, it, it almost meant more to me because I was watching it live. It, it was almost like it, it was more of a connection with me. Um, it was just me and Letterman against the world, it seemed. And that was part of his genius, too, I think. It's just you always felt such a strong connection with this guy, even though he was rumored to be so aloof. Did you, did you, did you see yourself as something of an outsider, so to speak? Um, well, no, not really. I mean, I had a lot of friends and I played sports, but I think as a, I was kind of a comedy outsider. A lot of my friends didn't like Letterman, didn't like the type of movies I liked, the TV shows I liked. You know, they, I guess, were more mainstream comedy. Um, but, yeah, as far as com- – I mean, I, I remember telling friends jokes that Letterman said. And maybe 
I messed them up, but it very rarely got any interest. So it wasn't really until college after college that I met like-minded comedy people. Yeah, I used to make my friends watch the the previous night's episode if they came over. I'm like, we have to watch this. You, you won't believe what he said or did. It was, it was pretty. I think it's a good way to to uh, connect with people. I mean, if someone shares your comedic IQ and your sensibility, I think more than anything that is a good sign for friendship. Yeah, I agree. Now you say you just went to a, a taping recently. Which taping did you attend? It was the um, uh, the Mumford and Sons taping. Okay, who else was on that night? Um. Uh, the the actress from Wild, I forget her name. Oh, uh, uh, Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, that was very interesting, actually. Here's a little back background observation I made. I mean, the band is phenomenal, and um, I was listening to the band, but I was kind of watching what was going on with Letterman, the producers, and the head writers, and also the actors when they were off camera. And I was watching Reese Witherspoon as they were showing a clip from her new movie, and... She was watching the monitor stone-faced, and as soon as she was given the five-second, you're about to be on camera again, uh, after the clip was over, she started fake laughing hysterically into the camera. Oh, man. Total fake. (laughs) She didn't find her own clip funny, but I just found that such a great little detail on what goes on on shows like that, which you never see when you watch on uh, television. You're a you're a respected uh, comedy writer, journalist guy. Were you watching the show from the audience, or were you given some special uh, perch? Uh, no, a friend of mine uh, knew a writer on the show, and we got uh, what's called VIP tickets. Really, basically, it's just VIP sit in the balcony. And um, but I did get to go. I don't know this writer at all, but he was nice enough to give us a tour afterwards. And uh, I went onto the stage, and actually, we were going behind the stage. And Letterman bounced through wearing uh, jeans and a uh, T-shirt with a bodyguard, and he was incredibly nice. He was bounding on his way, I can only assume, to his uh, car and then home. But he said, you know, have a good night, and I, I managed to get out something like, you know, Dave, you're the best, which I meant. I mean, I I have very few loves in, in celebrity, but I love that guy. And I think um, you're seeing that a lot now, too, like with the Norm MacDonald uh bit yes it wasn't a bit but uh the speech he gave about letterman i thought it was very heartfelt and very honest i mean these people genuinely love letterman they grew up with letterman yeah i i'm finding myself weeping i the jack Hanna appearance recently uh made me weep at work and uh that's that sort of i'm not a very emotional guy and i don't think (laughs) but I think what it is is like we're seeing our childhood end. I mean, this is the end of an era, and you know, it's almost like, in some ways, I would imagine watching. You know, comedy meant to us what rock meant to previous generations. So when the Beatles broke up in the seventies, I can imagine people who grew up with them were heartbroken. That was the end, the official end of their childhood. And to me, this is kind of like that. I mean, I'm not a child anymore. Long that, that ended long ago, but I, I do think that it brings back my childhood. Yeah. And I, a lot of it is connecting with someone that you couldn't connect with in real life. And his comedy, his sensibility meant so much to people. It was so strong and it was so influential that I think it's a um, – a lot of people went into the business because of him. And actually he's a very giving person. He gave a lot of people their first breaks and he doesn't mention that. But I think a lot of that's starting to come out now. 
the the norm. So we were talking about taping versus uh, watching, and so as soon as he announced his retirement, I just set my DVR PVR to record every episode, and I try to watch them live when I can. But I watched, you know, it was a Friday night. My family's been away. I watched the the episode with Oprah and Norm, and there is something really impactful. Like I started sort of tweeting and Facebooking about how emotional it was and what a remarkable moment it was on television to see Norm McDonald of all people break down after killing, like just destroying an amazing set. And then he does this tribute to Dave and it, it was really huge. I don't know that people have this relationship with live TV that I, mean, I know this is going to make me sound super old, but it is remarkable watching the late show with David Letterman live because it, it oh, yeah. is a very important show in, in the moment. Absolutely. No, I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, it's taped live, yeah. so you're not watching it as it's happening. But I think there is something to be said for being up late, you know, being up at 10, uh, 12, 20 and watching Norm MacDonald say what, he, say what he was saying. I think that's a moment that just that doesn't happen much anymore. Um, and it does sort of lose some of its power when you watch it the next day at work in your cubicle mm-hmm. at 11 a.m. Now, have you been to a taping before? You got the royal treatment. Have you been to any tapings before? No, this is this is the first one I've ever been to. Wow. Uh, I kind of didn't want to go because I figured I didn't want to see the behind the scenes. You know, I, I, I kind of like it was like a magic trick. I, I don't want to know how it was done. And I'm, I'm kind of happy I waited until the end. But I also saw a lot of interesting uh, things about Letterman. I mean, he... I was watching him the entire time, and he was very respectful with his with his uh, writers and his producer. And you know, he wasn't on camera, and I don't, I don't know how many other people were watching him, but he wasn't doing it for show. He just seemed like a decent guy. I'm sure, you know, he's an aloof, difficult guy in some ways to work for, but from what I saw, he seemed like a really good boss. Yeah, I've only been to one taping. I'm desperately, desperately trying to figure out a way to get into the uh, Bob Dylan taping on Tuesday because oh, yeah. that's, uh, I mean, those two figures for me loom huge, and, and I just want to go, um, and I'm doing my best. <laughs> but in, in any case, I've been to one taping. It was uh, Marv Albert and Katie Holmes in 2001, and you, the same thing as you. I was transfixed by the experience and just watching Dave Beyond when he was on the air, it's just interesting to see people convene during the commercials and talk to him, and he just kind of, you know, he's just sort of taking it in. Um, but I think now, from what from what I understand, he just, I can't help, I, I assume he can't help but just be serene about the show wrapping up. I'm sure, I mean, I, I'm sure he can, and that's the thing, he, he, you know, I think the real person is coming out, and you were talking before about Norm MacDonald. It's someone like Norm MacDonald that any of these people who who seem a little aloof and standoffish and sarcastic, I think in some cases they feel even more strongly that they put up some sort of uh, defense mechanism. I think Letterman has done that over the years, but I think he's an incredibly sensitive guy, and that's really coming out now. I mean, you can really see how heartfelt his responses are to these people who are who are making these comments about him. You uh, you obviously talk to lots of comedy writers, uh, comedians. How important, uh, our bias aside, yours and mine, how important was Letterman and his various writing staffs to the world of comedy? Can you kind of articulate the impact? Yeah, I mean, it was it was everything, and for me, and it was you know each of his jokes. It was almost like um, you know songs. You, you could reproduce it the next day, and you know, that you couldn't do that with other comedians, and. 
every person I know who was into comedy, uh, there weren't that many in my high school, but later on, everyone talked like Letterman. Everyone acted like Letterman. Um, it was very, very, uh, it was a style that you could easily try to emulate. It wasn't easy to pull it off, but seemingly easy. You know, it was like, we were talking about the Beatles before. It's like singing a Beatles song or something at school the next day. It was just, it was fun to do. And it was, uh, it just changed everything for me anyway, Mm -hmm. as far as comedy went, you know, I was somewhat into SNL, but I was very young. I, I was too young for national lampoon. Um, and when Letterman came on the scene, it was just, you know, people talk about a before and after for me, that was the before and after seeing that show. So essentially, you and I cannot be objective about this. No, nope, I'm not objective about this at all. Um, I can be objective about many things, I guess, but not about Letterman. I mean, I'm an absolute huge fan. Yeah. Um, and I just interviewed Meryl Marco. Well, actually, I didn't just interview her. I reposted an interview I did with her for the first book. Meryl Marco was the first head writer for the show. And I don't know if she gets enough mention because she really helped create that sensibility for the show um, and with Letterman. But she was hugely influential. This is, this is going to seem weird, but uh, I was also corresponding with Meryl Marco yesterday, and and she says hi. Oh, I love Meryl. Yeah, um, she's the greatest, and uh, she is not retiring. She is going strong. So, um, if anyone out there is uh, producing or hiring, this is the one to hire because she is a genius. Yeah. Now, Letterman has recently said that with the ascent of the Jimmies, Kimmel and Fallon, he, he sort of felt himself being passed by. Uh, what's your take on his cultural relevance over the past few years, maybe the past decade? Because I think people among... There's been whispers uh, for years, uh, particularly every time Bill Carter writes an article, I think that you know his engagement with the show has been uh, diminished. He doesn't really... You know, they tape two shows on Thursday. Like, he just doesn't seem to care but then when i watch it i don't get that necessarily well i do think it um i do think that he's a bit out of the loop and he, i think he admits it as well as far as the youtube uh clips um yeah the, t- the tweeting and all that sort of thing and he admits it i think he's been coasting for a little while he's just he's just so good he can do it and I don't, I don't know if you know if it's physically possible to put in the hours like he was doing when he first started. I mean, you kill yourself. You know, he's almost seven years old and he suffered heart ailment. He has a child. Um, but I, I do think even going back to when it switched from NBC to CBS, it was sort of jarring for me because what I loved about the original NBC show uh, was sort of the spark and the, the craziness, which I think sort of dissipated. Uh, with the CBS show, that was that's my own personal take. And truthfully, I really haven't watched. You know, I have a child now, so I don't watch any late night really. But I wouldn't even watch unless it was really special. Any Letterman, but there's just so much out there. I mean, that's the thing. He was so influential. He he influenced every single uh, one of the late night hosts, the millions of them out there right now. And that's just what happens. I mean, when you're in it for that long. You mentioned that he's been coasting, um, and and my take on that is, it seems that when Fallon and Kimmel get their show some buzz, you know, when they do a sketch or a stunt and it's on YouTube and everything, that's kind of where they, they their strengths lie. Whereas Letterman seems to strike a chord when he makes a speech from his desk, like it's just an impromptu talk he does. He's like the best storyteller, 
And he's amazing, and he's a great interviewer. He's very underrated as an interviewer. Yeah, why is that? Well, I think when he first started, he'd get a lot. He, no one had ever seen what he was doing, which was basically not kowtowing to idiots. And he would, you know, he hated Hollywood bullshit, and he would call them out on it. And um, no one had done that before. Uh, even if Carson, you, you knew Carson felt that way, he would he would never act that way. He was always. You know, as pure gentleman, Midwestern gentleman on the screen. But Letterman was, I had never seen it before. Um, and I think from that, you know, and people, you know, Shearer would come out and other, other celebrities would come out and they wouldn't, they wouldn't be uh, treated like they normally would and they would complain and sort of journalists would buy into that, that he was a bad, rude interviewer, where in reality he was just funneling through the BS. Um, but I think he, he'd make an excellent, an amazing podcast Host. I mean, he could talk to anyone. The guy's brilliant. He could talk to politicians, scientists, authors, and that may be something he would lean more towards doing now. Maybe that's what he prefers to do. But I certainly think he was a hell of a lot better than Jay Leno as an interviewer and uh, better than, than others, except for maybe Stephen Colbert and Jon Stewart. You think they're better interviewers? No, I don't think they're better. I think, I think they're all brilliant. I think um, those are the top three. Uh, interviewers um, I don't know if one is better than the next but I think Letterman as an interviewer and a, as an off the cuff improviser is astonishing I think he's he's the, he's the best out there and I'm going to miss that actually you say just him sitting at his desk and talking which to me is really a throwback to the old hosts like Jack Parr and uh, early Johnny Carson where they would just talk rather than every single word being scripted. You just don't see that anymore. And you only hear it on podcasts, really. Um, yeah. Mark Stern and other great podcasters. But it's, it's a rarity. And um, it's kind of a shame that that's ending where every second has to be accounted for now. You yourself are well regarded as a great interviewer. Uh, comedy writers, comedians who speak with you uh, cannot praise you enough. And so I, I think your insight about Letterman's interviewing skills is is useful um very quickly what do you makes him a great interviewer i mean in, in in speaking on that i suppose you'll probably reveal what you think are hallmarks of great interviewing and, and that's kind of what i'm after myself so can you talk a little bit about his strengths as an interviewer and and maybe have they influenced you in some way yeah well he listens and he is not afraid of silence and I think that he's just incredibly knowledgeable. Um, and I am not. What I have to do is I have to do a tremendous amount of research. So for each of the interviews that I do, I'll do at least 20 to 30 hours of preparation, usually, for these books, where I'll try to read everything these people have written, every interview, every book. Um, so that's the way I come about it. But with Letterman, he's just a brilliant guy and he can talk to anyone. Um, it's, I don't think it's anything you can teach. It's just listening and knowing a lot and being okay with not every word having to be a joke. You know, like with Leno, he would sometimes go for the joke rather than the truth. I don't think Letterman does that now. No, it's true. That's absolutely true. The, uh, the, you mentioned Stewart and Colbert as, as great interviewers. Are the shows hosted by the, the even younger guys generally well-respected by other comedians from your perspective? Um, I, think, uh, I think they're all respected for certain things that they're doing. 
um, it, certain aspects. I mean, they're all great. To do this every night is basically an impossible feat. You know, Jimmy Kimmel, I think, is a Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Amazing. Um, Fallon, I think, is fantastic. He, Fallon was born for this thing. You know, he was born to be a host. Mm-hmm. It's just they have different strengths. And I think what appeals to comedy writers is maybe not um, lip-syncing or something like that, but something that's more natural and off-the-cuff and more human and more real. Uh, but that's just comedy writers. You know, for instance, I, I have my little cousins down in Maryland. They're always sending me um, bits from Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, which I find funny, but I don't like as much as they do. But you know what? That's who these shows are appealing to. It's It's... It's pop radio. It's Q107. It's not alternative radio. Hmm. And for alternative comedy, you have to look elsewhere. So where do we look? It seems like Comedy Central is really ramping up. Uh, filling, oh, yeah. I think filling the void of the old late night, both late night shows, to be honest, Letterman's and Conan's. Uh, I feel like most of that subversive stuff is now, it seems to live in cable. Right, cable or what's interesting, speaking of throwbacks, is radio or podcasting. I mean, Mark Marin is fantastic. Um, I'm a huge fan of The Best Show mm-hmm. uh, with John Worcester and Tom Sharpling. I mean, that's a show that has three hours. It's not in a rush. He's not appealing to anyone but himself. And um, that, to me, is just the best of what's out there right now. But then again... He doesn't have to appeal to six million people like Jimmy Fallon does. You know, Jimmy Fallon has a very he has a huge job. He's appealing to the country, and he has to play a certain way. But I think with cable and podcast and radio now, you can get away with things that you can't get away with on TV, at least in the present. It's you mentioned that when Letterman shifted from late night to the Late Show, uh, that you noticed a shift in his sensibility or the show's sensibility and. I think some of us noticed the same thing when Conan shifted from Late Night to The Tonight Show initially. There seems to be something to the fact that you could get away with more stuff or feel like you could experiment with more stuff when you thought no one was watching. Right, and that's 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 the trick. I mean, in, in essence, people were watching, and it was the people you wanted to watch who were watching. And then to make that switch to... Uh, 1130. It's almost like being a restaurant that not many people know about to moving into the food court in the mall. Do you change? You know, um, and it's a hard change. Leno, I think, isn't exactly like what he was on that show. He was, you know, his comedy, his stand up was kind of edgy. 
and incredibly funny. But he made a switch. And oftentimes, those in comedy don't like something, whereas those out of comedy look at it differently. I didn't like Leno when he was on Late Night. I didn't either. I didn't either. Like, I mean, with YouTube, you can you can try to substantiate this whole Leno was edgy business. And the greatest joy I get from those clips of him on Late Night is just watching. Letterman's clearly kind of in awe of him uh, and his work, and he's enjoying it, and that makes me enjoy it a little bit. But I'm not as impressed by that stuff uh, as I was hoping I might be based on all the lore. Right. Well, also you're looking at it from like a 25-year difference. I mean, I've seen Jay Leno performances pre-Tonight Show, and he was amazing. Hmm. But, you know, he appealed. My parents loved him even when I couldn't stand him. So I think he was smart enough to tailor his comedy and make it – more mainstream and the question is can someone like conan or letterman do that without losing what you loved about them to begin with um truthfully with conan i think it was quite edgy as for the tonight show i'm not sure how many people even watched it who criticized it because it was really quite edgy and he wasn't on long enough i mean the poor guy was only on for a few months it's not long enough i think he would have filled that role really really well um but with Letterman switching over, I, you know, I was also getting older at that time. I was, um, I was so in love with that first show that no matter what he produced, it wouldn't have been as edgy for me. And um, I do think something was sapped when he, when he left. But he had to do what he felt was right. I, I just found that it wasn't it wasn't hitting at me like it used to hit me. Yeah, I think that the moments where he uh, would interact with people were still there. Like that spark was still there, but the kind of planned stuff, the sketch, like the written stuff, seemed a bit a bit more tempered. Yeah, and I think there his writers complain about that too. Like th- they were frustrated with not getting certain stuff on the air. So it was it wasn't the writers who weren't producing this stuff. It was. Uh, Letterman wanting to take in a certain direction. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's easy for me to say one way or another. I, to do what he was doing every night, it was nearly impossible. I don't, I don't know how it would have been if he had stuck with it as being as edgy or as nearly as edgy. My, my sense is it would have been fine, but I, I don't know. You know, you, when you're dealing with a show like that, this is not a podcast. You're dealing with millions of dollars and a staff of a hundred, and it's like you know steering a huge ship. So. It's easy to be on the outside saying he should have done edgier stuff, but I don't know what he was dealing with. I don't. I'm not sure why the talk show format has. What what, what makes it so? Um, I don't know. It's pervasive. It it, it seems to not change. <laughs> and, and, I, and it used to be that you know Letterman was kind of doing Carson show to a degree, or maybe just it's staging, and maybe it's just the format. I don't know why this format seems to never lose its luster. Do you have any insight on that? On that? Well, you know, the people have tried to change it, and um, I think it, it's it's like um, anything that reaches a certain point where it's going to be as good as it can get. You know, um, <laughs> another thing, too, is you they have to produce this every day. So the format is really... Um, optimal for everyday broadcast if they were to do these once a month it would be a different look or even once a week but you know it's only so much work they can do every day so i think the format became a certain thing and it was tweaked in certain ways but it just reached the point where um you're not going to improve on it the blueprints beyond a certain amount 
But with that said, I mean, look at uh, John Stewart or Stephen Colbert. Those shows were totally different from from Carson and Letterman. I mean, that was you know a lot more clips were being and John Oliver's new show, which is great. I mean, a lot of clips are being used and. Um, they're talking about subjects a lot longer. So yeah. I th- a lot of changes have occurred, and I think they'll continue to occur. But it is strange to me that um, a Fallon or a Kimmel sort of it sticks with the traditional. It's almost like um, Borscht Belt in a sense, that they're sticking with this format that um, has been around for so long. But I think I think a lot of that does have to do with the fact that you know, these people only have a certain amount of hours per day to, to produce things. And it's just becomes a matter of sticking in material, um, between the, uh, the sets, you know, the stable portions of the show. It's just, I think it's also just easier to explain the concept of a show when you kind of say it's going to be kind of like, you know, these other shows. I mean, Kimmel has been very open about his worship of Letterman. So I'm not as surprised by him trying to, you know, walk in his footsteps, so to speak. Uh, and Fallon inherited the Tonight Show, so there's a long tradition there. I mean, you know, it's tradition, I think. Yeah, well, everyone's everyone. I don't think one host has said that they haven't been um, influenced by Letterman. It, you know, it is tradition, but I think when we're dealing with that much money, I think the tradition would be more on the advertisers' end than on the creative end. You know. It's the advertisers who want the tradition. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. When I say you have to explain it to people, it's usually people with the money. Right. That's what they know. And until something totally new comes along that breaks the whole format, not just a little bit, then this is what they're sticking with. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm surprised that people watch it as – I don't I'm Maybe I'm just too old. I, I, just, I just find it a little dull, quite frankly. I, I'm not into the interviews and – I'm more into the uh, into just talk, which is I don't find it. It's mostly interviews with celebrities, um, you know, promoting something, which I just don't find that interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I think the one of the few people who could make that interesting by turning it up, turning it on its ear was Letterman. Or still, I think he could very well still. Yeah. You know, have you know a podcast out of his home in Montana where he doesn't have to leave his basement. He can talk to people around the world. I think that would be amazing. Well, unlike Johnny Carson, who disappeared and kind of in, in a haze of exhaustion and just you know he'd been doing it a long time. I mean, Letterman's been doing it longer than Carson did, I guess. But uh, he has hinted that he's that he might still be active, which I thought was quite interesting. He's not. You mentioned a pod. He said he might do a podcast. It's not right, right. Well, that's a- where I got the idea. I mean. From when he said that, I, I never would have imagined that he'd be interested. But Carson too said that he would. I remember him saying before he retired, "There's a lot of stuff he wanted to do. Perhaps put out a documentary about cosmology, which he was fascinated with, and and that sort of thing." Um, but he didn't ended up doing nothing. So we'll see about Letterman. Yeah, I, I feel like he's a bit seems a bit more vibrant still. When someone like Letterman leaves, people say it's the end of an era. What? does his leaving represent for television and comedy from your perspective? Oh, well, I definitely think it is um, an end of an era. And I think truthfully that era ended a while ago. Um, I think he could have retired. I mean, there's been a great stuff that he's been doing, but I do think, and I say this as a big fan that he's, I just sense a tiredness on his part um, but I do think that once he's gone, you know, it, it's young. It, it's very young. 
and you don't have the the older crew anymore. Mm-hmm. And in 20 years, it'll change. You know, the Jimmy Kimmel, Jimmy Fallon, there'll be the old crew, and the new, fresh crew will come in. It's just the way it happens. But I do think that Letterman was tethered to a previous age. He, you know, he was a huge fan of Carson's, and I think he comes from that um, that age. And also having grown up with comedy from the 40s and 50s, you know, um, radio comedy and uh, Bob and Ray radio, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I think those influences, hopefully they don't die with Letterman, but I do think that having um, – you know, been raised with it, that sort of thing, that's over. I don't think, I think the, the hosts may know a lot about humor from the 40s and 50s, but they weren't kids in their pajamas watching or listening to this stuff in their parents' family room when they were, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. It's funny that Conan would often make these seemingly arcane references. I think there were things he grew up with, but I, he also just seemed very obsessed and continues to seem very obsessed with sort of old-timey, like the generation way before his. Well, yeah, but that's the thing too. Like he's uh, he's almost seventy, so he could have been a kid of five or six, and his parents could have been listening to this stuff that they grew up with. So we're talking about generations back into the twenties and thirties. Um, whereas someone like Jimmy Fallon, who's so young, his parents may have been gone back to listening as far back as maybe the sixties. So in one generation, it can sort of disappear, and I, I hope it doesn't. I, I think. Um, you know, to be a good comedy writer and comedy performer, you have to know what came before you. And my sense is that Colbert and John Stewart and Fallon and Kimmel, they know a tremendous amount about, about comedy. So I don't think it's going to disappear. But there's something about having grown up with this stuff and laughing as a little kid with your parents to comedy that affects you for life. And I think um, as this generation, like of Letterman's last of it, is that that just ends, up, you know, yeah. I think the influences end, and the influences you'll have now will be um, 70s, Harold Ramis, National Lampoon, and uh, into SNL and that sort of thing. So it just changes. It's just you know, a matter of time moving forward. Yeah. Uh, Poking a Dead Frog is amazing. I enjoyed this book so much. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. It's just that it, I, I read it once and I started reading it again. And that doesn't happen very often anymore. I just Buy a copy. You, I don't want you to read the same one over again. <laughs> you need a friend. Okay. You're just trying to, you're trying to sh- get, you shill the book now? You're making me buy it twice? I got to. I, I got to do what I can. It's amazing. I recommend it to, I've been recommending it to everyone, whether they like comedy or not. I just found it very insightful about kind of human condition stuff. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah. So what's coming up next for you? I mean, you've written these these interview books. Do you have any uh, bigger projects on the horizon? I don't know. Um, I don't think I'll be doing uh, interview books with comedians, comedy writers anymore. But I, I think I would like to do more interview books, perhaps focusing on crime. Um, and also what I like to do is I like to work with one comedy writer or performer um, in a memoir type book and just make it an amazing type book that you don't, you wouldn't normally find, you know, a really detailed, really dense, um, sort of like, um, Andre Agassi's memoir that he co-wrote with an amazing writer. I don't know if you read his book open. No, I didn't. It's one of the best memoirs I've ever read. The, the other writer is a Pulitzer prize winner and they work together on this book that became something 
to me, was the best sports memoir ever written. And I would love to write the best comedy memoir ever written. Oh, that's interesting. Is there a particular subject that you would want to engage with? Well, yeah, comedy or pop culture. Oh, no, no, I meant a person. Oh, yeah. I mean, anyone. There are people I've, I've been reaching out to, um, you know, but if there are, there are a few people. I have about a list of 10 that I've been reaching out to. Whether it will happen or not, I don't know. But that is, that's my goal. Have you put in, uh, in the past, have you put in requests to speak with uh, David Letterman? No. Um, I just assumed it was a no-go. <laughs> this is like me desperately trying to get into the Tuesday taping with Bob Dylan. I, I know it's the no-go, but I'm trying. You have to try sometimes. Uh, you got to try, yeah. And, I, you know, I... I don't know. It was just one of those things that seemed impossible, like going to the moon or something. I suppose it could still happen, but, um, you know, with the type of interviews I like to do, sometimes they take months off and on and many hours. So I don't think even in the best of opportunities, I would have that chance. Well, he seems to have some time on his hands now. Maybe. <laughs> I'm sure he'd love to devote it just to me and my interview questions. <laughs> Before I go, uh, or we go rather, can you comment on this Harry Shearer Simpson situation? Do you have any insight or take on that? No, I don't. I, I was talking about that with a friend. Uh, on the one hand, um, he's making a, a tremendous amount of money doing something he's very, very good at. On the other hand, he is amazingly creative and his mind goes a million miles a minute. And I'm sure there's a ton of projects he would love to work on full time. Um, and I know he's a big fan of New Orleans, where I used to live. And I think he has a place down there. So I think, you know, after he's been doing it for a long time, I think, I don't know him at all. But I'm just guessing that, you know, he wants to spread his wings. And the guy is amazingly talented as a writer and performer, not just as a voiceover artist. And I think he um, wants to do other things. Yeah, I, I, just reading um, Al Jean's comments about it, there doesn't seem to be a sense that anyone knows exactly what he wants. It's not money. It's not more time. Yeah. He kind of suggested it was more time, but they were like, no, he can phone in his stuff. He's got all the time in the world. So what's yes, going on? But like it's been, and you do any job for 20 years, it gets a little tiresome, I'd imagine. And yeah. Okay. I don't know. It's just a creative, it's a, you know, in that creative mindset, they need something sometimes that sometimes they, they don't even know what they need. Yeah. He's also 70 years old. He might be just done. Right, exactly. I mean, you know, you, you, you look at your time left and there's not much time left and you think, Jesus, do I want to be doing this or whatever it is? I don't know. I hope he uh, comes up with some projects that make him happy. Yeah, me too. Do you have any predictions? So what we've learned about the, the final episodes of Letterman, because we're closing on the final three here, uh, we have, um, who's on Monday? It's uh, Tom Hanks and somebody. I can't remember who. And then Tuesday, it's uh, Bob Dylan and Bill Murray. And then Wednesday has been kind of, the final episode has really been uh, under wraps. They're not giving anything away. Do you, have you heard anything? No, I haven't heard anything. My, my guess is Letterman being who he is, he'll make it about his staff and the people who are on the show rather than him. Yeah, that's a good call. And do you predict a kind of similar like Johnny Carson? Was it Jack Parr who also sat on the stool? I can't remember all the people yeah. who uh, Jack Jack Parr did also behind the desk, but yeah, I remember Carson's last show. He just sat on a stool and talked. My guess is no, he won't be. I don't think Letterman will put himself out there. I think he'll be behind a desk and talking about 
um, you know, the people who met on the show and all the amazing talent who wrote for the show and that sort of, that's just a guess. I have no idea. Yeah, but yeah. talk about a, a show, a Tuesday show, Bob Dylan, Bill Murray. I mean, that may be the best lineup ever on, uh, in theory anyway, on a late night show. Yeah, I, again, desperately <laughs> trying to go. I want to go. I'll, we'll see what happens. I've sent some emails over the weekend and maybe I can somehow squeeze in there. But if not, I'll be watching on television like everyone else and uh, yeah, yeah. yeah mike uh, it was great to talk to you for more information uh, on uh, mike's work people can go to mikesax.com and again his latest book poking a dead frog conversations with today's top comedy writers is stunning it's just brilliant and, oh, and, and really uh, you know it's an interview book but uh, his uh, your research is just phenomenal i can just tell i can just tell that you oh you, thanks you, you, you put a lot of time nice. into it and and the people seem to they reveal so much. It's and it's inspiring. I have to say, the book is inspiring. Oh, well, that's good because you know I did want it to be honest, but I didn't want it to be so honest where it put people off. I mean, the perfect reader for me is someone skipping math class in high school and just stumbling across it in a high school library, and just thinking, "Wow, okay, there's another world out there that I could be a part of." Because I I felt sort of lonely in high school comedically. Uh, didn't have that many friends that shared what I liked. But I think that's changed now, um, and I hope that this book will show young writers that it can happen. You can do it. It's not easy, and there's no false promises, but it's, it's a fun career, and it's a possibility for you. It totally comes across, and I think it, it also levels – we do live in an age where anything seems possible, and sometimes that's – yeah, not right. necessarily a great thing for everyone to think they're good at everything. <laughs> it isn't. It, too much is no good, but too little is no good either. I mean, I didn't believe I would do anything but work in a in a record store, a retail store in Maryland. I didn't think I was capable. And I think now what I've seen is everyone thinks they're more than capable, which is good, but not to the point where you're delusional. Yeah. So I think midway is is the is the right philosophy. I think. Absolutely. All right, MikeSacks.com. Mikey on Twitter, Facebook? Do you, where can people... Yeah, uh, Michael B. Sacks on Twitter, and I'm on Facebook just as Mike Sacks. There you go. <laughs> All right, Mike, it was a tremendous uh, pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for your time. And, and, and... Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for letting me do it. Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com. 
and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.